Happy Monday. Welcome into Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kitty with you. Thanks for being with us. Coming up on the show today, Purdue gets a huge win on the road. Meanwhile, IU stumbles at home. Plus, college football, the SEC and the Big Ten form an alliance. Yeah, I feel like we've heard this before, and it didn't mean anything. And they're casting doubt on the college football playoff future get to that end of this hour also in hour number two the boilers have answered every question of course except one but isn't that the point and if you want to blame mike woodson fine but i think there's someone else who deserves quite a bit of blame for iu struggles in men's basketball and also roger goodell hosting his press conference today but well we'll see who's actually there to cover we'll explain that after 8 30 in hour number two, and before we leave you after 8.50 or so, uh, the Jags want $20 million back. We'll explain what's going on there. You know, just a cool $20 million. Ho-hum. Can you imagine the, the IOU note? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> can we get $20 million, please? That'd be great. Yes. We'll see how that goes. So we'll get to all that today on the show. Again, 46862. Text line should be fun today. Yes. Yes, it Purdue should. Purdue fans, IU fans, IU haters, Purdue haters. 46862. That's how you reach us. Just put in CK before your message, please, so the that we know that it is for us. Morning. Happy Monday. Hello. You're bringing it this morning. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a Monday morning. You know, it's, usually, it's a Monday. Usually, I, I usually I, one of us is dragging ass. Yeah, but, but uh, I, I'm feeling good today. Yeah, I, I felt like I slept well. My little sleep tracker did not say that. I no? was confused. Now, do you wear like a smartwatch or something? Okay, Fitbit. so you even Fitbit. All yeah. right. See, I can't wear mine at night. I can, but I'm just like... It's like too like, bulky? It, it just bothers me. I don't even think it's... Like, throughout the day, I don't notice it. But then at night, I'm like, I gotta get this thing off. It's Do you need cumbersome. to, like, loosen it a notch or something? Probably, maybe. But I also like to get my wrist... Like, my wrist is all meshy and stuff. I don't know. I take it off at night. I, I only... I literally have mine on all day except in the shower. Or if it's charging, which is once every, like, 10 to 14 yeah. days. Like Great cute. battery life. Very nice. But yeah, it, it gives out like a sleep score. Yeah. And which usually is, yeah. I shoot for like 75. Which is really good. During the week. I mean, I can't even get anywhere close above that except on the weekends. But it gave me a 68. I was surprised because I felt like I slept well. But mm. I looked at it and it's like, yeah, I was awake like a bunch of times. So I'm like, I don't remember being awake. We'll check Maybe in. I was tossing. I don't know. We'll check in with you later today. See yeah. how you're holding up. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see about 3 o'clock this afternoon. I'll probably be asleep. For sure. We'll All see. right. Well, let's dive into headlines this morning and everyone's favorite sporting event, the Pro Bowl. And more oh, yeah, specifically, the Pro Bowl games yesterday. Uh, Team Eli Manning goes back-to-back as the NFC beats the AFC 64 to 59. Anyway, moving on. Elsewhere in headlines. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We're not going to break that down. We're not going to waste your time. Uh, Washington. So Cliff Kingsbury backed out in Vegas, and then now he is going to be the Washington Commanders offensive coordinator. Well, when you first heard this, like, this is weird, and then you start thinking about it, and more importantly, maybe looking at the draft order and seeing Washington at two and think, well... Washington's going to draft a quarterback. Yes. Probably Drake May. And Cliff Kingsbury's excitement to have a new young quarterback to help mold in Washington is a little bit more of a pull than, I don't know, coaching Aiden O'Connell in Vegas. Um, 
So for this, it, it made a heck of a lot of sense when you looked at it a little bit more. So one of the guys that was the target of several teams, at least in terms of interviewing uh, in the offseason, the Bears interviewed him, their OC job, and has kind of been a guy on, a, on the radar of a lot of franchises since he was fired by Arizona a year ago, um, is now back in the NFL. And I think the lure of working with a new rookie quarterback had everything to do with this. So that means Eric Bieniemy, former Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, he still has a year left on his contract with Washington. He is obviously out. Keep that name in mind about a week from now. We'll see if uh, something happens that has been rumored for quite some time. Yes. Stay tuned. And also, Washington has hired a defensive coordinator as well, Joe Witt Jr. Never been a coordinator in the NFL, but hmm. been a coach for many years in the league. So, interesting hire there. You have Luke Getze, your favorite. Oh, I remember him. Going to the Raiders. Man, that's not a good uh, second place prize going from Kingsbury to Luke Getze. No. Have fun with that. So, Vegas. he will be the OC in Vegas. Uh, you have Patrick Mahomes' father arrested on suspicion of DWI. Yeah, I saw this yesterday. I mean, he's had his issues. I just kind of wonder why this is like such a story. I, I well, guess it's because Super of the Bowl best. week. Well, yeah, but it, you know, it's the dad of the best player in the league. I get it. I guess. Oh, well, he but. was an elite athlete himself. I mean, he played in Major League Baseball for many years. Yeah, eleven seasons. Yeah, I just uh, yeah. This guy needs to stop drinking and driving. Yes. It's like it's multiple. Is it a third? I believe third so. UI, DWI, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So guy needs to get it under control. Come on. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. Yeah. I'm just saying, I think it is noteworthy because it's on Super Bowl week. Yeah. You know, and I, I guess, I mean, I'll, I just focus on the it, game. I don't care about what <laughs> pair, pe- players, parents are doing. That's me. All right. That's fair. Uh, in the NBA, we move on. Joel Embiid. Not good news for him. He's going to undergo a procedure to address his meniscus injury. Well, he's not getting to 65 games. Uh, Probably not. Uh, But they're saying the door isn't closed on a return this season. But again, him getting to 65 games, um, I just, I highly doubt uh, that that's going to happen. But he's, again, at 34 games now, it's going to be quite some time before he keeps playing. A meniscus procedure? Yeah. Doesn't sound good. No. <laughs> okay. No, it so. does not. And, and and this isn't the first time he's had a meniscus procedure. Yes. Uh, he had one in his right knee, a small tear, had season-ending surgery on his, uh, and that was back in 2021. Uh, he had season-ending surgery on his left meniscus in 2016-17, missing 37 games. This does not sound good, but um, he was on pace. And th- this, is a sh- this is a shame because he's having an historic season. He's on pace to join Wilt Chamberlain, only other player to average at least 35 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists in a season. Hmm. You know, what's interesting is Philly has played 14 games without him uh, this season. Can you guess how many of those 14 games Philly has won? Two. Four. Wow. They're four and ten. So, without Joel Embiid. So, that is going to be something to watch in the East. The longer he's out the more it's going to affect Philly because it's very much... Now, I'm not saying it's a one-man team, but it's it's one of the best players in the NBA out, and Philly has struggled without him this season. They are currently in fifth, uh, just ahead of the Pacers by a handful of games, but they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, so they're not playing well, uh, and 
believe me, if Embiid was healthy, they'd be battling for the two or three seed. So yeah. this is a huge loss. And uh, we go to the Pacers. Um, they get an easy win over the Hornets last night. I mean, you take care of business on the road. Pacers went at 115 to 99. Halliburton, again, still on that minute restriction, but they've at least kind of changed how he's playing, having him play more into the fourth quarter. Didn't work earlier over the weekend. Um, he at least had 17 points last night, 25 for Pascal Siakam to lead Indy, uh, 22 for Aaron Neesmith, who continues to be a, a great offseason signing, uh, re-signing him because essentially they're getting <laughs> excellent play at a steep discount with this new deal. Yeah, very steep discount and overcame a, a, a an egg, goose egg from Andrew Nemhard, who started and uh, scored zero points in 27 minutes for the Pacers, who will host uh, Houston tomorrow night. But the Pacers able to get the win on the road despite career-high 35 points from rookie Brandon Miller of the Hornets. So the Pacers get the win, and they are back in action uh, coming up, I believe, tomorrow night. Uh, yes. Uh, tomorrow night is they take on... Let's see here. The, they play Houston tomorrow. Houston, okay. Yeah, they host Houston at Cambridge Fieldhouse. So the Pacers back in action coming up tomorrow. And we continue on with headlines from the Pacers to the Comets. Comets get two out of three. Yes, they had their first loss to Kalamazoo yesterday on the season. But a good weekend for the case, getting a couple wins on Friday and Saturday. So Saturday they played the Cyclones in Cincinnati. Did you see any highlights of that game where it was like, I don't know if it was like breast cancer awareness night uh-huh. or whatever. Uh, they tried to make the ice pink. I don't know if it was just what I was seeing. It it looks bad. Well, that was not in Fort Wayne. No, I know. It was in, it was in Cincinnati. But it was like, I, was, I kept looking at it because uh, Justin Cohn kept posting uh, clips from the game. And I kept looking. I was like, is that as bad as it looks? It looks like somebody just went with a... Like when you have a, a, a marker that's dying and yeah. you're trying to color stuff and it's just like some is dark, some is light. You know, that's kind of what it looked like. Uh, it wasn't. I, I appreciate the sentiment for, for breast cancer, but man, it was uh, it was not good in Cincinnati. But the K's were able to get four out of six points over the weekend. Um, or did they play yesterday too? Yeah. Or were they off? Yeah, for yeah. Four out of six. And now they are eight points out of first as Toledo continues to uh, to struggle in their last 10. They have been unbeaten in regulation in their last four, but l- watch out for Wheeling, who has passed the Comets for second in the Central. Wheeling on a tear, nine straight wins. So, uh, good weekend for the Ks once again, but they fall in the standings. They fall in the standings. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem with the Central. We talked about it so much is you have to be on all the time or you're going to lose ground. The K's have a reasonably good weekend. Four out of six points, yet they, yet they wake up on Monday morning slipping down to third for the first time in a while in the Central. We move on to high school girls basketball sectionals over the weekend. Congrats to all the teams advancing Homestead, uh, beating Columbia City on our game of the week here on 1380 The Fan. So Homestead, take a look at the matchups moving forward. Homestead takes on McCutcheon. In Marion, in the Class 4A Regional, 1 o'clock tip on Saturday. Meanwhile, the other one, Snyder, who advanced, they will take on Nubblesville, 4 p.m. tip in that one. Uh, moving on to Class 3A, Norwell advances. They'll take on Benton Central yet again uh, in Class 3A, 4 p.m. tip in Caston. 
And then, uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Uh, Bishop Lures will take on Lafayette Central Catholic at Westdale, 4 p.m. tip in Class 2A. And am I missing anyone? I feel like I'm missing one. Oh, Fremont in, in 2A. Uh, they'll take on Lewis Cass from Belmont, 4 p.m. tip in that game. Yeah, we had... Uh, in Woodland. They'll take on oh, Hamilton yeah, Heights, 1 p.m. tip uh, in Class 3A at Lapel. Nobody in 1A locally playing, but uh, Brett Rump was... Uh, did the game, did they do it Friday and Saturday? We just did a... Championship game, right? Saturday game. We did a post-game show on Friday. Okay. Because they're just... Weren't good matchups. Weren't good matchups, yeah. <laughs> Around the area. The atmosphere at Columbia City for Columbia City Homestead and keeping an eye on that game online. And and Brett posted a, a bit of a video 45 minutes to an hour before tip-off. And it was it was already packed in there. And, and I saw other people say how great of an atmosphere it was. And the line was out to the... To uh to the to the road and and at Columbia City in between the the parking lot and the, and the football field it was uh it was a cool atmosphere for Columbia City unfortunately for the Eagles they just can't figure out a way to beat Homestead when it counts in the sectional and the Spartans were able to knock off Columbia City for the sectional championship and as you mentioned they'll play McCutcheon in that regional semifinal on Saturday. 46862, your text line again, 46862. Meanwhile, Purdue Fort Wayne, they get a bounce back win over Youngstown State at the Gates Center, part of homecoming. So the Mastodons back uh, on track in uh, the Horizon League with a big win on Saturday. Took in the Dons on Thursday. We talked about them at length on Friday. That's a good bounce back win yesterday. And as. Um, as we heard, or I saw from Dylan Sin, who covered the game yesterday, the Mastodons now have a win over the top Ken, top-ranked Ken Palm team in the horizon in Youngstown State, and a loss to the lowest-ranked <laughs> team in Ken Palm in the horizon in IUPUI. So the Dons, as I've said, the season, fortunately or unfortunately, comes down to conference championship weekend and, and, and being able to to potentially get a bid to the tournament. That's kind of what I have eyes on, and that was a, a must-win. I hate using that term, but the, the Dons needed that one yesterday to beat a really good team at homecoming and all the, the pizzazz that goes around that, and the Dons were able to get it, especially after trailing at halftime. So to be able to come back, get a win out at the Gate Center was big yesterday for the Dons. Jalen Jackson leading the way with 23 points to the hometown kid with another good performance for the Dons. Meanwhile, it was Purdue getting a huge win on the road yesterday in Madison at the Kohl Center. So the Boilers have gone back-to-back at the Kohl Center in successive seasons. Just impressive stuff from Purdue. They get a 75-69 win over Wisconsin. And there really wasn't any one like kind of standout player. It's just that Purdue is so balanced Four out of their five starters in double figures, just two bench points for the boilers. Lance Jones had 20. He just seems to make winning plays. I like, I I feel like I am a broken record on Lance Jones, but he has been the addition. The boilers needed having an athletic guard in the backcourt. And he just brings so much to this team, 20.6 rebounds, uh, made some key defensive plays late in this game as Purdue gets the win. And and for the Boilers, Braden Smith had an excellent first half. Uh, Zach Eady was quiet, still at 18 and 13, gets his 55th double-double, a school record. And the Boilers now won seven straight against AP top 10 teams. 
It, it's uh, it's just repetitive when we talk about uh, Purdue, who is now 6-0 and this season against teams that were ranked 11th or higher at the time of the game. We felt, talking about this game Friday, okay, Wisconsin takes a bad loss at Nebraska, or at least one that you thought would rattle them enough to really come home and take it to Purdue and get a big win. It was a huge atmosphere, crazy atmosphere at the Kohl Center. Uh, pre-game and and even before the doors open, you know, fans all over the place, kids all over the place. And Purdue comes in, weathers the early storm. I think that's the big thing on the road is you settle in. You don't let Wisconsin get out to a big lead. Purdue led by a couple at the half and was very surgical. I think that was the word that came to mind for me was surgical in their ability to break down Wisconsin and not lean on any one particular aspect of the game. As you mentioned, Lance Jones with 20, Braden Smith with 19, Zach Eady with 18. Uh, you only had two points off the bench with Mason Gillis, but he did give you some good minutes of the bench. But this just felt like strength versus strength because Wisconsin didn't get much off the bench either, although Connor Asesian scored six off the bench. The yeah, you see Central. a circus shot he had late in the shot clock. That yeah, was which impressive. Is, uh, which is not surprising considering what he did at Central Noble, but... It was a a drastic contrast in weekends when you go from Saturday watching Indiana pee the bed at home against Penn State, and then you come back on Saturday and say, okay, Purdue, here's your latest challenge of the season. You have to go to a team in Wisconsin that has fought its way up into the top 10, coming off a bad loss on the road, coming home, electric atmosphere, Cole Center is a difficult place to play. And what does Purdue do? They go on the road and get it done. And I, I think the most impressive aspect, Purdue, they play an okay first half. They're up two. Wisconsin kind of rallied late before halftime. And then Purdue just grinds you out in the second half. And that, that seems to be their formula. Uh, if, if they can just get a little bit of a lead in the second half, they, they play so well coming out of halftime. And we saw that again yesterday. Tyler Wall had a great game for the Badgers, but it just wasn't enough to overcome what Purdue was doing. And Zach Eady, I mean, th- this was a quiet game for him. He had three fouls, just just 18 points and 13 rebounds. But, it, I mean, that was the quietest 18 and 13 you'll ever see. Yeah, and he now is has an NCAA leading 74 straight games in which he scored 10 or more points. And he broke Rick Mount's 54-year-old school record for consecutive double-digit figure scoring games on Wednesday against that game in Wisconsin. This game, once again, you looked at it, well, how did Purdue win it? Well, out-rebounding Wisconsin, 42-29, to especially offensively on the offensive boards. Purdue was able to get 21 second-chance points in this game. Zach Eady, six of the 14 offensive rebounds. And when you talk about, um, yes, there's other pieces for Purdue when you look forward, but Zach Eady is still the guy, and, and he was prevalent Maybe not exactly offensively as much as prolific as we're used to seeing, but he was huge on the boards, particularly offensively. And Purdue is able to get the win now, twenty-one and two. Caleb, just impressive. And they started twenty and two last year as well. So, uh, I mean, maybe we have short memories. I just don't remember being this impressed by twenty and two Purdue last year. Well, because. They didn't have the depth. Well, and they were 6-0 and against teams that are ranked 11th or higher last year, too, at this point. I mean, it's a, 
it's not a different Purdue team. It is just an improved Purdue team. And they showcased it again yesterday. Well, last year, I mean, they, they started strong. Obviously, we know that. 13-0 start. You lose to Rutgers. They get up to 22-1. and Then they lose to Indiana. So, and that's when things started to fade. I, I guess it was like right at the same point where Purdue had a road game. It was at Indiana. They lose that one. Uh, and then they, they lost three out of four, four out of six in that stretch before closing out the season with some wins. And maybe that's that's perhaps why the question marks were building at that time. Yeah, no, I I, I totally get it. Uh, just a tough week for Wisconsin. Two losses after rising up to number six in the rankings. They'll surely fall out of the top 10, uh, maybe even the top 15. Not maybe because of that Purdue loss, but definitely because of that Nebraska loss. But it, it just it it was a it was just an interesting twenty four plus hours from Saturday to Sunday. And I told you about the, it, the yesterday. It was like you know for the Purdue lovers, it was a perfect weekend. You watch Indiana lose a bad game on the at home, and then UB was kind of, And for conversely, for IU lovers. It was a bad weekend, especially if you're an IU fan that loves to hate Purdue. Because once again, you saw the absolute chasm where these two teams are at as a program. Not just this year, but as a program. We'll get more of this into the second hour. But it was a very telling 24 plus hours in terms of Indiana college basketball over the weekend. And I think after another accolade for Zach Eady. He also joined a pretty exclusive list as far as having 2,000 career points, 1,000 career rebounds, and, what, 200 career blocks. Uh, one of the other names on that list, David Robinson. So not a bad list to be on. Pretty exclusive. But I, I think uh, also Patrick Ewing, only players in NCAA history. But you look at what Zach Eady's done in his career – it's time to start thinking about long-term, like, is he the best boiler player ever? By the end of the season, I think that argument is there. I mean, as of right now, I think a lot of people are still going to say Glenn Robinson and maybe Rick Mount, but Edie is set to catch Rick Mount on the scoring list to, to lead Purdue, and obviously if he's the two-time national player of the year, I mean, a lot of people are, think Glenn Robinson, right? Number one NBA draft pick, just dominant in college, but... What Edie's done, I mean, you just you can't overlook that. You you have to put him at the top of the list after the season. And it's so tough to compare over generations, and especially with Rick Mount. And it's just so tough to to make those comparisons. But uh, you have to put him in the conversation. I mean, it's just tremendous what he's done. And and neither one of those guys were two time player of the years, which Zach Edie's going to be. And Glenn Robinson won it once. So, yeah, he's definitely with if Purdue can make a big run, he could cement himself as the greatest Purdue basketball player of all time. I mean, it's already clear that Matt Painter surpassed Gene Cady. Yeah, (laughs) Um, no doubt. And uh, that's something IU hasn't been able to say. Nobody's been able to surpass Bob Knight post Bob Knight yet here to look what Purdue has. Uh, text coming in on the text line four six eight six two CK. This is the best Purdue team I've ever seen. I'm still not. I still am worried about how they'll handle the press. They need to clean that up before March. If there was something that was an area of concern yesterday, Braden Smith turning the ball over five times. Um, do you feel 
that the Big Ten presents enough challenges with those quote-unquote elite guards that you're going to have to deal with in March to make you feel confident that Purdue is okay? Or do you feel um, that they still have something to prove and there's going to be a challenge there when it comes to the postseason? I think it's a little bit of both. I think the Big Ten doesn't have enough elite guards. I mean, there are some, right? I mean, it's not like there's a dearth of guards. I mean, you look at Boo Booey and, and Ty Berry, Terrence Shannon Jr., right? These are all good players. Dirt. Um, that's a good word. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, who's the guy from Maryland? He's also really, really good. Um, his name escapes me at the moment. But uh, there, there are a lot of good guards, but yes, I think that is an issue. However, I think Purdue has the depth that they lacked previously at guard by with the addition of Lance Jones, and I think that that's the... Uh, Jameer Young, that's who I was thinking of. Um, the the depth, though, with a guy like Lance Jones who's experienced in the backcourt, I think that's kind of more of a game-changer for me. Um, he's just been so much to Purdue this season. Is fit in seamlessly coming in. I, I feel like I'm a broken record every time I talk about him, but it's been a perfect fit for Purdue, and I think it's really helped that backcourt grow in, in, in terms of Smith and Lawyer to be what they need to be by having someone else who can step in, who's confident, who's a good ball handler, who's a good defender, who can make plays that is just not all on Smith and Lawyer like it was last season. Well, Lance Jones was brought in as a dude from Southern Illinois that was experienced, that was a veteran guy that could come in and be a calming influence in that backcourt when needed. And he hasn't often had to be that this year because Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer have been so good. But we could see a scenario in the NCAA tournament where Braden Smith has some problems with turnovers because we've seen that at times this season, less than last year. But we could also see Lance Jones be that guy that, okay, he's going to be the dude in that backcourt to like settle down, calm down, played 34 minutes yesterday without a single turnover. And he's going to be that guy be like, all right, all right, all right, I got this. And that's something that they didn't have last year, right? It was Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer basically on an island. And now they have Lance Jones to kind of look at and, and Matt Painter has him to look at and say, okay, if things get rough, I can turn to Lance Jones as, as being that veteran guy to bring everything back together. Also, let's not forget that, yes, maybe the Big Ten isn't the toughest challenge, but they beat Tennessee. <laughs> they have some good players. They beat Arizona. They're decent. Um, I, I guess Purdue has done enough in the non-conference, let alone they're taking care of business in the Big Ten. Yesterday was a prime example of that. I mean, this is a game I think last year's team loses, no doubt. Especially Wisconsin coming off that bad loss. I fully expected Wisconsin to win this game yesterday just because of the circumstances. And this was, for me, the most impressive Big Ten win so far this season for Purdue, and it's not even close. And arguably their most impressive win of the of the season. And yes, I know they beat number one Arizona, but I was very impressed with what Purdue was able to do yesterday. From winning back-to-back at the Kohl Center to, of course, not winning the Kohl Center since the year opened in 1998, IU did something even worse yesterday. Or, excuse me, on Saturday. That was lose at home to Penn State for the first time since 2014. There's a lot to take away from this loss, and a lot of it is not good. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you. Don't forget, you can always listen to us 
on the stream at 1380thefan.com via the 1380thefan app, free for you to download on your phone or on your smart speaker as well. Uh, Alexa, Google, it's like a dot, right? Echo dot or something. Isn't that a thing? Uh, I think that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So plenty of ways to listen to us and you can always interact with us on the text line 46862. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message and uh, someone with a correction. Uh, the the Comets lost two out of three. They did not win two out of three. So oh, as our mistake. Uh, they lost 2-1 on Friday. I looked at the score wrong. I think the only game they won was the Eyesore at Cincinnati, yeah, the yes. Eyesore Ice. So, close loss Friday, big win Saturday, then a loss last night. And again, it's just, it's a slog, this part of the season. It very much is, and it goes back to the Central. Just You cannot lose any momentum or you're going to start slipping, which the Comets are, dropping to third. Really it was a slog basket. Saturday at Assembly Hall. Well, that's one word for it. I, <laughs> this is the thing. I listened to the first half of Fish. I uh, was taking the dog to get groomed. And uh, it was halfway decent enough, I thought, to take a walk in uh, in Wabash County. They have a beautiful river walk there. And <laughs> and then you start texting me yep. as I'm walking. And you're like, I, I said something about, like, I used in trouble. Like, what are you talking about? They're down five. They're down ten. They're down 13. <laughs> They're down 15. <laughs> I was like, holy crap, what's going on? But it did not surprise me whatsoever. No. Indiana loses at home to Penn State 85-71. to And this was after a good first half. They led by as much as 11, only led by four at halftime. And this is the key issue with this team. If there is one trend that I have noticed, they cannot close out halves at all. The end of the first half, seemingly every game, uh, if they're playing well, the other team rallies back and makes it a lot closer than what it should have been. Um, and, and this is a, a trend that's happened whether they're winning or losing. Then you throw in the fact that Penn State's without their leading scorer, Kanye Clary. Um, Malik Renew returned. Xavier Johnson out. He is still day-to-day, according to head coach Mike Woodson. But, I mean, you have a dominant first-half performance by Khalil Wary at 17 of his 25 in the first half. He did have a double-double. But the, the key issue is... Defense, uh, three-point shooting. IU gives up 12 out of 22 from three. And I, I think it's clear that this roster on paper going into the season, it's not a talent deficit, right? It's never been no. a talent issue. There are plenty of talented players. I mean, Khalil Ware is probably going to be a first-round NBA draft pick. He was great, 25 points, 11 rebounds, 8-8 eight eight from the foul line. He's been great. Uh, Malik Renew has taken the jump that everyone expected him to take. He had 16 points. Uh, did struggle uh, with foul trouble. In fact, fouled out late in this game. Um, Trey Galloway, he's been up and down all year, but he had 12.6 assists. Obviously, Xavier Johnson has been hurt a lot, and then he's been up and down as far as his play goes in the lineup. Uh, Anthony Leal, that spark off yeah, the bench early nothing. in the week. Yeah, yeah. Threw up an air ball and then missed another three, and that was pretty much it. But this team is not operating at a talent deficit. Yes, there's not a lot of depth at guard, and we continue to harp on Mike Woodson making the mistake by leaving that open scholarship when Ja'Kai Newton, who is ex- expected to do a lot of things, is not going to play this season. Uh, but this is just a team that the pieces... Don't fit together. I think that is so clear. You have a lot of talented players, but the whether it's the big lineup, which Woodson is is just wants to stick with, but it doesn't seem to work. When IU goes smaller, it seems to have more success. 
but it just yeah, it, mean, does, it doesn't work. It's it's pretty obvious. We've known this not just this year, but the last couple of years since Mike Woodson took over. Is he he recruits talent? He doesn't recruit fit. Okay, we talked about Lance Jones with Purdue and how he fits this year into what the Boilers want to do. Very inexperienced last year in the backcourt. What does Matt Painter do? He goes out and says, I'm going to find a veteran guard who has played in some big games, albeit in a mid-major in Southern Illinois, but is going to be able to come in and has the mindset to handle business and calm things down in the backcourt when I need it. And he's been able to do that. Now, the jury is still out if he can do it in the NCAA tournament, but he fits into what Purdue needed. Whereas Indiana just has a lot of collective individuals, a lot of talent, a lot of, a lot of athletes, but it, it isn't a cohesive unit whatsoever. And once again, that was on display on Saturday. And it's just, I talked to somebody that uh, went to the game and, and I asked him if, if he booed at any time at the assembly. I was like, you know, what was interesting is before the game, there was just, there's no energy at assembly hall. There's no excitement at assembly hall. And I asked him like, is, is apathy setting in? I said, yeah, I think it is. Uh, it, it just the, the energy around the program is eroding. As well, it should. It's also a noon game against Penn State. You're yeah, not going to have a lot of energy. true, but I do think it it's, it says something too about where the attitudes of of Indiana fans are right now. Is there's just there was there was nothing there, and this is a guy that has gone to a lot of IU basketball games. I'm sure he's been to a lot of noon starts, okay, on weekends, and he just it was it was bleh. There, there, I think you're seeing a lot of fans that are accepting what this team is going to be under Mike Woodson. And unfortunately, it, it, it hit a new low on Saturday. Yeah, if, if people thought the Purdue loss was the low point, no. This is by far the low point of the season. And there could be more lower points. Now, they have chances, but how many chances are they going to have before they run out, right? I, I mean... This has been a broken record. We talk about, well, there's still these opportunities left on the schedule. Well, those opportunities are few and far between. Now. No, they're done. And they're, losing they're done. at home to Penn State, they slipped now uh, in, in Kinpom, which is a, a good metric point as far as determining who makes the tournament. I get that the NCAA uses the net, but more people accept Kinpom as far as being a more accurate readout. They're top 100 in Kinpom, but they're 99th. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's not, not happening. No, um, not at all. Um, this team right now would have to win four games in a row um, to win the Big Ten tournament. They've done that once this season. Um, probably when they were playing their best basketball of the season, that Harvard-Maryland-Michigan stretch. Remember when IU was 2-0 in the Big Ten? Yes. Man, what a time to be alive. And then Auburn just pantsed them in early December. Uh, this IU team is done. Let's be real. Let, let's let's call a spade a spade right now. This IU team is done. And this isn't a a Micah Shrewsbury coached Penn State team in the last couple of years. This is a rebuilding, largely built through the portal roster by a first-year coach just trying to rebuild a program with his best player out. And still, Penn State beats Indiana by double digits at the assembly hall. Just absolutely embarrassing. But not surprising. No, not surprising. And this is the kind of loss that I think really defines a tenure. And it's something that's so weird to me, and I don't have the number uh, off the top of my head. I know we've talked about this before. 
Mike Woodson has so many double-digit losses at Indiana, like throughout his tenure. I think we're at seventeen now Ooh. through two and a half ish seasons. I I want to say that's it. Last time I looked at it, I, the number that comes to my head was about sixteen. So he has a lot of double-digit losses. When you compare to other head coaches, like during their tenure, I mean, as ugly as Archie Ball was. I think there are only like eight double-digit losses through his entire tenure, to put that mm. in perspective. So, uh, for whatever reason, when IU loses, they lose by a lot quite often, but they're not winning games by double digits. That That's the other aspect. Um, <laughs> yes, they have some double-digit wins against the nobodies they played earlier in the season, but a lot of their wins this year have been pretty close because simply they're just not that good of a basketball team. And they're slipping the Big Ten standings. This was a game you absolutely had to have. They didn't get it. Now you go on the road at Ohio State, then you play at Purdue this week. Uh, Ohio State game coming up tomorrow, 7 o'clock tip. Uh, Purdue game coming up on Saturday night, 8 o'clock tip. I mean, it just, Penn State was supposed to be the game you got. That was supposed to be a week you go 2-0, and and you regroup, and you think about what you can do. Now that's completely out the window. And with this schedule down the stretch, yeah, they're winnable games because you're playing games at home, and you're playing some of the, the lesser teams. I don't know, but if you lose at Penn State, at yeah. home. Yeah. Who says you're beating Northwestern at home or Nebraska? And then you have to play Wisconsin and Michigan State at home. Let alone you have a game at Purdue. You have at Ohio State and Ohio State's struggling, but that doesn't mean anything for this Indiana team. Um, at Penn State, for whatever reason, you don't feel confident in that one. Um, someone texting in, IU soon to be a football school. That's what it feels like because there's more buzz with the football program certainly right now than there is with what Mike Woodson is doing, or I guess not doing the basketball program. And a lot of people are going to say fire Mike Woodson. I think that's the easy way out. And I also think that he'll get another year, right? I'd be stunned unless something crazy happens between now and the end of the season. I'd be stunned if he's let go the end of this year, but there will be fan apathy going into the next season. And the point remains that they're struggling and this, this team should have taken a step forward because this was, for the most part, his hand-picked roster. He was able to get the guys he wanted. He worked the portal, recruiting, right? All those things. And the results have been less than impressive. But if you want to blame Mike Woodson, fine, but I think there's another person you should blame. We'll get to that at about 8.20 next hour. Here's one thing that I will blame Mike Woodson for. I'll blame him for a lot, actually, but this is the one that really point... Uh, st- uh, really jumps out to me and I saw this again yesterday when I got home watched some some highlights and clips and stuff is Indiana's reliance on two bigs Kalel Ware and Malik Renew outdated they're very good yes but you are limiting a lot of versatility by playing two bigs like that and partly you could say well they don't have the guards but then that's on Mike Woodson right or is it not featuring the guards or is it not putting more on the guards? It's just, it's an antiquated approach playing two bigs and you only need one of them. And they're both, unfortunately they're two, you're your two best players. You have to have them on the floor. But I look at that offense and saying they need another wing. They need a guy that can shoot from the wing. They can need a guy that can penetrate and finish uh, or penetrate a dish at the very least. But it's an antiquated offensive style, and even defensively, in terms of quickness, in terms of of being able to close out on the perimeter, is you're limited 
but what two bigs give you. They're very good bigs, but that doesn't mean that they don't still have limitations and teams are able to capitalize on them. It's an antiquated offense. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say, right? You're not playing modern college basketball. And we thought, well, the, you know, the roster that Woodson inherited with Race Thompson and Trace Jackson Davis also playing two bigs, right? But at least Race could step out on the perimeter and, and shoot threes a little bit. But like, we just thought, oh, that was just the roster that he inherited and then that will change. Well, it's, I feel well, like he's doubled the, down on it. That was the excuse for Mike Woodson early, like you said. Like, oh yeah, wait till he gets his players. But yeah, he's recruiting the same player. Like, he, it's the same offense. Yeah, he got longer guys, more athletic guys, but two bigs, yet again, I, I mean, it just, it does not work. And his desire to keep running that style is seemingly running this team into the ground. My biggest problem with Mike Woodson is he recruits talent and then tries to figure out how to put it together instead of recruiting talent to fit into what he wants to do. I think Mike Woodson is very much a, and this is kind of an NBA mentality, I'm going to see what my roster is, I'm going to get as good of players as I possibly can, and then we're going to just try to figure out the chemistry and figure out the style and what we're going to do. And that's not how you build a college basketball team. You can get away with that in the NBA. You have a lot of talent. You're going to win a lot of games, right? It can be as dysfunctional as ever. It can be as uh, top-heavy as ever. But you're going to win a lot of basketball games with that. You're not at the college basketball level. I think he star chases. He loads up on as much talent as he could possibly get and then tries to figure out how to build a team with that talent. Look, his whole selling point is getting guys to the NBA, right? Who cares? Yeah, people want to win games. And build a program where you actually win games. Who cares? But yeah, it's it's that lure that you're going to get to the NBA and then you're trying to figure out how to build a team around those guys. I don't, I don't he's have, recruiting those kind of guys. I don't have I don't blame any player that comes in and say this is merely a stepping stone to my my uh career in the NBA because you know what? That's their right. But when you try to build a program around those guys, then that's a problem. Uh, this text, uh, we'll get to this and then move on. Uh, CK, this is the IU that we will see for at least the next 10 plus years. Should have been more red flags when Dane Fife left the program. Woodson is not the guy. I think there are a lot of red flags that came with his hiring. And I know you weren't on board. I wasn't initially until they made some other moves behind the scenes. But it's maybe the secondary uh, moves after that initial hiring like Dane Five getting let go that should have been the red flags all along. We'll get to more on this in hour number two. Again, you can blame Mike Woodson, but he shouldn't be the only guy getting blame after Saturday. Coming up on the other side, the Big Ten and SEC at it again. Oh, we love those college football alliances. And they're casting doubt on the college football playoffs future. What's at play? We'll get to that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 46862 is the text line number. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. All right, so the Big Ten and the SEC announced Friday they're forming an alliance. They, They will have a joint advisory board to study the future of college sports. It uh, just sounds like two conferences with too much money throwing something to get a conclusion that they want. Well, they are the most 
the two most powerful yes. entities in, in college football now. And, and now you have Tony Petiti, who's the Big Ten commissioner incoming, uh, and Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, casting doubt on the future of the college football playoff if they can't get right key Be- issues. Before it's even started, yes. at least the 12-team version. So the college football playoff contract with this extension is through 2025. That includes the 10 FBS conferences in Notre Dame. They're going to have college football playoff management committee meetings today and tomorrow in Dallas. Try to hash out these issues. Some of it includes the Pac-12, now soon to be Pac-2 TV rights, SMU and their allocation of money because you have to have unanimous votes on these things and they can't get unanimous votes. But nothing is set beyond 2025. So I find it funny the Big Ten and the SEC are rating other conferences and, oh yeah, of course, they're not voting on this stuff because they want to make sure they get more bids into this college football playoff future. Well, I think maybe the most the most prominent uh, subject with this advisory group, quote-unquote, is the potential new subdivision that the NCAA has proposed to try to kind of rein in a lot of this chaos in college football and whether they the NCAA can get their arms around it or if it's going to be branched off similar to the college football playoff is right now. So if this uh, committee can work together with maybe the NCAA to make that new subdivision happen, I think that would be tremendous for college football. And then also the, the, the I see that they've, they've mentioned that uh, athletes will also be included as necessary. And I just kind of laugh because once again, here we are with a bunch of adults with a lot of money and that are in charge of organizations with a lot of money that are going to decide what's quote unquote best for the college athlete. I, I mean, the college athletes absolutely need to have a say in a seat at the table, right? I, I mean, like, especially with, so. we're talking about a $1.3 billion contract for the college football playoff per year. It's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a ton of money. And so I just, once again, uh, just kind of roll my eyes at, at, at all these, these folks, executives, that are, commissioners that, that, that they know what's best for these athletes. And I can imagine what they think is best. Is not giving them a significantly bigger piece of the financial pie of the billions of dollars that is being raked in by these universities and leagues when you add it all together? Yeah, no, it's it's it it's not going to be. Oh, we need to we need to perfect the the portal and work on nil. No, it's it's how can we limit those things so they're not as much of a factor and all this talk about coaches, you know, leaving and all that. You know, we saw that last week with Halfley from Boston College. Potentially could see that with Chip Kelly uh, from UCLA going back to the NFL as well. He's interested. Look, those are guys in second tier programs that they've probably reached, reached the level of success that they could achieve. So I don't really think that's a, a thing to be afraid of. I just think it's a lot of posturing by people with powerful voices in the sport that are rooting for the decline because of the changes that they didn't benefit from themselves. And now we're seeing that the big two, again, coming out and basically saying, well, we're going to make sure this is done in a way that benefits us and us only. Well, my biggest issue, uh, one of my issues at least, is is the the continued 
uh, push against NIL and transfers and all this stuff. About it's not changing. It's, but, but but there's there's no there's no discussion about coaches that leave programs um, immediately after the season before bowl games or leave them hanging this that and the other. Like there's no discussion about about coaches being held more responsible. And I'm not saying they should be. I'm just saying, why are you thinking that the kids going all over the place is a problem, but the adults going all over the place isn't? What's the difference? Rules for thee, but not for me. Yes, is it's because they're all looking out for each other, right? The adults, but the kids don't matter. I know people push back. Oh, yeah, they matter. yeah I, I, I understand they matter. I'm just saying is why is why is the quote unquote problem all the kids going from one school to another and not the coaches if one's not the problem the other's not a problem either and i have a problem with neither one of them coming up on the other side the boilers have answered every question of course except getting it done in march but isn't that the point with this team why i think your narrative on well, they've only done XYZ in March. I think it's time we move past that, especially after what we saw on Sunday. That's next as we kick off hour number two. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on a Monday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny with you. You can join the conversation on the text line, 46862. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. We'll get to it throughout the show this morning. Coming up this hour on the show, the Boilers have answered every question except, of course, March and the NCAA tournament. But this team is different from last year. We'll explain. Plus, don't just blame Mike Woodson if you're an IU fan. There are other people to blame as well for the Hoosier struggles this season. We'll get to that around 820. And Roger Goodell. He'll hold his press conference today, but there's a change this year compared to last year. And, well, the NFL thinks less is more. I think I disagree with him on this move. And before we leave you, after 8.50, the Jacksonville Jaguars, oh, they're asking for a return of, well, just $20 million. We'll tell you why after 8.50 this morning. Nothing big. Yeah, just just $20 million. Just $20 million. You can just, you know, just nice little $20 million. We'll We'll take that back. Thank you. Just, just, the NFL could find that in the. Uh, yeah, it's just like in a couch you know? cushion, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> the couch sure. cushions are made of money. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Print money over there in the NFL. Again, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Also, don't forget you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com, via the 1380thefan mobile app. That's free to download or on your smart speaker. You can listen for free on there. And if you miss anything in hour number one, you can always catch up by listening to the podcast. I just look for it about 11 a.m. each and every morning on your favorite podcasting platform, free to download, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, all for free. So Purdue, they've answered every question this season, except, of course, what they're going to do in March, and that is to be determined. But isn't that the point with this team? They keep proving all the doubters wrong. I mean, Yesterday was a game that you would have thought, I mean, last year's team for sure would have lost this game on the road in Madison, but this was a great performance by Purdue. They're just so steady, and it wasn't a flashy win, 
but you knew it was a big win, not just because of the number next to Wisconsin, but winning any time at the Kohl Center is impressive. And Purdue has now done that in back-to-back seasons. We all know IU struggles there. They haven't won there in over 25 years. The Boilers have the best player in the country. They have an elite point guard in Braden Smith. They have good shooters in Fletcher Lawyer and Lance Jones. We already know they have so much depth. And the biggest issue they had last season, three-point shooting, well, that's no longer a concern for this team. And you don't have to worry about the freshman wall either because Smith and Lawyer are sophomores. Like, how many more questions do they have to answer? And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, they have to win a first-round game. Herder, I get that. But, like, if, if you can't see that this team could not be more different from last year by now, then I guess I give up. You you still have to win it, Mark. My, that's my thing. I mean, you, we continue to sing their praises, and for good reason, but it's not just last year. It's Matt Painter has a fundamental issue of losing to teams he shouldn't lose to in the NCAA tournament. And that can't happen this year because I think if it happens this year, then you really seriously have a problem. You seriously have a ceiling to Purdue in terms of what they can accomplish. And I think that will be the most telling to me it comes March because if this team doesn't get to the final four, then I don't know if any Purdue team will ever get to the final four under Matt Painter. And Matt Painter is a tremendous basketball coach. He's going to go down in history as the best coach in Purdue history, because as, as, as revered as, as, uh, as uh, Gene Katie. Katie was, it's not like he got the final fours with Purdue. Okay. So not like he won national titles at Purdue. So the bar isn't that high when you talk about Gene Katie, as opposed to Bobby Knight, but it does. My concerns are more, I guess with Matt Painter in March than this team because Matt Painter hasn't proven he can get it done. But this team, I, I think, and someone texted in, and this is a, a great point at 46862. CK, look at the teams Purdue has beaten this year. How's that for relevance? I, I mean, what else can they do? They they rolled through a very difficult non-conference schedule, knocked off wins against Xavier, Gonzaga, Tennessee, um, Arizona, Marquette. I get that they didn't schedule uh, UConn in the non-conference. I would guess that like UConn or Houston, the only other wins that, yeah, sorry, they didn't schedule them. The the other two teams that are, I think, I mean, we talk about this UConn, Houston, Purdue are the field, and I'm I'm taking that trio over the field. That's how strongly I feel about those teams compared to everyone else so far. But Purdue has done everything. They've checked every box. Uh, they, they beat Illinois. Uh, they destroyed Indiana. Not that that's like a marquee win, but you, you get right against your rival after getting swept last year. I understand the FDU thing is always going to be lurking for Purdue until they win in March. And, and I mean, just until they get past the first round, right? But I'm running out of patience for people who aren't willing to believe in this team. But are there people out there still? I, I largely have not heard them anymore. I think they've kind of gone away waiting for that opportunity to come They're out. They're waiting the for that. Because I told you so in we, March. We get it here on the show. Anytime that Purdue loses or doesn't win by double digits, then we have texters saying, oh, you know, 
you know, Purdue is not as good as you think they are. But largely, I think people have just quieted down. We heard it even after the Northwestern game, you know, about the, the foul discrepancy and this, that, the other. And yeah, there's you know, a lot of whining. Over time to go to Northwest to beat Northwestern, blah, blah, blah. Like you're grasping at straws to try to find weaknesses of Purdue. But I do think there are a lot of people lurking in the grass waiting for this team to flounder when it comes to March. But I think you look at what Matt Painter has done with this team and the expectations are so high. I mean, he's been to the sweet 16, what a half dozen times only been passed it once. And that was in 2019, but he's done a lot of good things, but the lasting impression is last year. And that's like, I think the biggest thing, when you look at it, I mean, you lose in the, a couple times in the mid 2010s in the first round, but that weren't those weren't really good Purdue teams. I mean, last year is obviously the the big one, and I think people are just kind of waiting to say, "I told you so." And quite frankly, I think people have a right to say it if this team doesn't get to a Final Four. Fair or not? I think that's a little unfair. I think this team they get to a Sweet Sixteen. I think you can say... No, this team's better than a Sweet 16 oh, team. I agree. They cannot lose in the Sweet 16. But I'll give you a lead eight. The The tournament is a crapshoot, though, beyond that. like you, The first two games, like Purdue's going to be playing at Gamebridge Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, most likely, for the first and second round. They should have absolutely no problem taking care of business those first two games. I know, but w- this is the thing. Like, why do, why do we consider UConn right now the best college basketball program in the country? Because they've won multiple national championships in recent memory and got it done in March. Okay, the difference between UConn and Houston and UConn and Gonzaga is one of them has got it done in March and one of them hasn't, or two of them hasn't. The difference right now between UConn and Purdue is that one has got it done in March and Purdue hasn't. So, yes, there is a lot of, I think there's a lot of pressure on Purdue because and I've said it before, right? as impressive as Purdue has been, I, quite frankly, don't care until March. I'm impressed. I think it's a really good team. But you want to be considered one of the top programs in college basketball? You damn well better get it done in March. That's why UConn is up there. And that's why I can't put Houston in that conversation. And that's why Kansas is up there. And that's why I can't put Gonzaga in that conversation. Houston went to a Final Four. They haven't won a national. I don't care. They haven't won a national title. (laughs) They have not won a national title. You have to get it done, and that's the thing. Like you got to put Houston then above Purdue, because Houston's been able to get it done at least get to a Final Four. That's my thing. If this team does not get to the Final Four, it is a disappointment, and it is a big disappointment in my opinion. These teams, two-time reigning National Player of the Year. Don't come along very often. This team, this dominance for Purdue, it's a generational team, and it better get it done. So it's Final Four or nothing. Yes. Uh, t- to me, I-, I think that's a little unfair. There, there can be Why? other factors that come into play. I mean, yeah, if they have an injury or whatever, but there's no excuse, no on-court excuse for this team not to get to a Final Four. Okay. I, you don't I agree? Just, I, I think... There's no excuse for this team to at least get to the Sweet 16. Beyond that, the tournament's a crapshoot. No, no. If you are an elite program, 
you make a run to the final four. Okay. At least, I mean, we talked about it just last week. If this team over the last couple of years doesn't get to a final four, it's a disappointment between last year and this year, especially this year. This is as good of a team as you're going to see at, at Purdue in 20 years, probably. Is the best Purdue team I I can remember in my lifetime. I mean, you you have to take advantage of this. This is not a Kansas every year you have a chance to get to the Final Four, UConn, you know, uh, Duke, stuff like teams like that. Like, this is a generational team. And if it does not get to the Final Four, to me, it's a disappointment. Someone texting in at 46862. CK, Purdue has been building to this moment for the last 15 years. They're carrying the legacy of more than themselves. This links back to the baby boilers. I mean, Man, that's, that's, a lot that's of going back. That is going back over 15 years. I mean, that's going back to what, 2007, when the baby boilers came in. I don't but know. Th- if, this is, I don't really know if there's like a direct link there. Yeah. I don't know if we're putting the, the, the shoulders of 15 years of Purdue basketball on this team. At least I'm not. I, I look at this is a, this has not this team has nothing to do with Etwan Moore and Robbie Hummel. No, okay, zero. Um, so this is an its own entity, its own team. To me, it has no link to the Baby Boilers. Uh, I think it's just maybe for Purdue fans that team that can finally get them over the hump, because while they are considered a really good program and and this that and the other. They're missing that final four. And you it, it's another level of legitimacy. Okay. It's it's the equivalent to when the college football playoff was four teams. And you can be as good as you want to be, but if you don't make a college football playoff, a four team playoff, you're still not at the top tier. And that's kind of what I look at Purdue. That's not a fair comparison. College football is very exclusive. I mean, they don't have a 68-team tournament. They're at least expanding it to 12, and maybe that, that'd be more fair moving forward. I get but it. No, I get th- it. That's not a fair comparison. Like, the teams that made it, the college football playoff compared to teams that make the Final Four, I mean, FAU's never getting a shot. Like, yes, Cincinnati gets got got their shot, but everything had to go perfect. True. Teams like FAU and San Diego State wouldn't have had a, a shot. So I don't think that's a fair comparison but I do think that if you want to be considered in the upper echelon of your sport, college football, the marker is yes. make the college football playoff, and in college basketball, it's make the Final Four. Purdue hasn't been able to do that. That's why I think if this team doesn't make a Final Four, it's a disappointment. It's a big disappointment. But you, you could say that for like a lot of teams. This, I mean, Houston, UConn, Purdue, Kansas, uh, the no. way North Carolina's played. No, these are the only th- the, no, but Purdue for the last two years has been a team capable of making the final four. And if you don't, then it's a disappointment. It's, it's, it's a, that's why all, all I can look at it as you have to get it. I know you're looking at the, the season as they've, they've checked every box. They look great. And, and I agree, but I still say it comes down to March. You have to get it done on in March. You have to, because there's no excuses. There's none. And, and while I agree with you that they have to get it done in March, there should be nothing holding you back from believing that they can get it done besides last year's team, which has so little to do with this year's team. I get you're going to say it's the same coach and it's a lot of the same players, but the, the, the roster is more mature. They have the piece they didn't have last year in Lance Jones. And I, I just think there is a different drive with this team. 
Last year, they were not supposed to be there. This year, this team, not only do they know they're supposed to be there, they know they're supposed to win, and all they've done is win. Which makes it more important that they do win in March. That's all, that's all I'm saying. That, that, that's I am, my thing. I am fully on the boiler train, and I will be eating my words if they collapse in the first two rounds. But to me, you get to a sweet, sweet 16, it's a crapshoot from there. You hope you get lucky and get breaks. I mean, you go back. You could, Here's the thing. You could go back and watch that Virginia game. Sorry, Purdue fans, I had to bring it up. But, <laughs> I mean, they should have won that game. And that would have been a final four, right? So they're just, it's such a crapshoot once you get past rounds one and two. That should have been the final four appearance, 2019. Here we are five years later. They have a a team that is elite. Yes, they don't have elite guard play like they had with Carson Edwards, but they have a lot of depth and they at least have the shooting to get there. Obviously, Zach Eady, who's going to go in the NBA draft. So... I I still feel like this is different. If it was, but my thing is, if it was such a crapshoot, then why is why didn't Butler win a national title? Why didn't FAU win a national title? Why didn't Loyola win a national title? Because eventually, the best team or one of the best teams ends up as a national champion, and Purdue is one of the best teams in college basketball this year. They have to prove it. Okay, that's my thing. Yeah, you have great stories. Yeah, you can get tripped up. FAU, that's a great story, but UConn, Kansas, Virginia, Villanova, Duke, North Carolina, these are the teams that win national titles. These are the teams that predominantly get to Final Fours. And Purdue wants to think that they're as good as some of those teams that won national titles. And so far this year, they've looked the part. They have to prove it in March. Text at 46862. Why why is Caleb already making excuses for another early Purdue exit? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's a question for you, not me. Yeah, I'm yeah. not touching it. I, I mean, I don't feel like I'm making excuses. I, I'm I'm all in. All chips in. So, to me, the tournament, though, I'm not saying if they only make the Sweet 16. Yes, that is a disappointment. But anything after the first two rounds is a crapshoot, and anything crazy can happen. We've seen that year after year. That Like... Is the narrative that you're going to say that, okay, so if Purdue gets to the Elite Eight or Sweet 16 and some crazy thing happens, they lose, then the the whole season's a failure? Is that the way you look at it? But define crazy thing. What are we talking about? Like, if did they get outplayed? I mean, what was the crazy thing last year? They got outplayed by Fairleigh Dickinson. Yeah. yeah. What's the crazy I, I'm talking thing like you're a talking Virginia about? level loss. No, that's a disappointment. They're a better team than Virginia. You have to prove it. And what, like, once again, Matt Painter, that's the, that's the narrative on Matt Painter. His teams don't win in March. If this team can't, then no team is for Purdue with Matt Painter. Like, you have to get to a Final Four. You have to do it. You have to get there. This this team is too good. Too good for something. Like, like You got to give me a scenario where something crazy happens. Like, all of a sudden, is there a 25-point basket that somebody hits at a buzzer a, to beat them? A crazy like, game-winning shot at the buzzer. Then don't be that close a to a team that's inferior injury. to you. I mean, injuries are one thing. I, I, I mean, but if a team beats you 83-81 to 81 on a desperation heave at the buzzer, my thing is going to be, why the hell was it so close? If it's an inferior team. All right. right? We'll see how this plays out. Yes. A month and a half from now. Oh, gosh, you're going to make me be in a situation where i got to root for Purdue, which I don't <laughs> like to be in. 
<laughs> but you know, we're Purdue homers here. Yeah. Some people well, think I'm I'm apparently the biggest Purdue homer. So <laughs> uh coming up on the other side from Purdue to uh, a program that certainly is not even gonna touch March basketball beyond the Big Ten tournament at this rate, Indiana. And I think it's safe to say a lot of people are already checking out on Mike Woodson. And that's fair. I have no problem with that. But there's another name that you should blame for the issues at Indiana as well. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Text at 46862. That is the Purdue mentality. Just get to the Sweet 16 and we're good. Here's my thing. and I feel like people are going to misconstrue everything I'm saying. I'm saying that it is so hard to win and anything beyond the first and second round of the NCAA tournament is a complete crapshoot. So at the end of the season, just like last year, yes, Purdue lost to FDU, but they weren't even supposed to be anywhere close to the level that they were last year at the start. And then expectations rose through the season. They're on a run of what? Three straight seasons reaching AP number one. First time, Purdue had, had ever reached number one in the first season. Now they've done it three years in a row. Uh, elite company in, in the Big Ten and nationally. Um, if they don't get to a Final Four, but say they get to an Elite Eight, am I thinking this season's just a complete failure? No, because that's absurd. Do they have the team to get to a Final Four? Yes. Do I believe they can get to a Final Four? Yes. But I'm not viewing everything as just a, a, an abject failure if they fail to get there. I think it's just too simplistic of a view. Like, I get that in sports, all we want to talk about are championships at the end, or at least in college football, you have the college football playoff and college basketball, you have the final four. And and in pro sports, it's seemingly title or bust. It's so hard. I mean, in, in college basketball, there are over 330 teams. Purdue is one of a handful of teams that even has a chance to sniff a national title this year. And, and believe me, it is just a handful. We're talking about six teams that have a shot to actually win based on the metrics and trends and everything. And Purdue is one of those teams. Just to be included in that group, to me, is pretty special. And to have a legitimate opportunity to redeem themselves from last year, that's important. They have that. They've checked every box. To me, I look at it as they just continue to check boxes. So I'm not going to be surprised when they get to a final four. Whereas other people look at it as, Oh, it's Purdue. They're just going to choke. That's what they do. That's fine. You can look at it that way. I disagree. Four, six, eight, six, two, the text line four, six, eight, six, two for all those that want to agree or disagree with Caleb Hatch's takes and my takes for that matter. But let's talk to you about something that's a little bit more rosy here in the Hoosier state <laughs> and Indiana basketball. Yeah, that's one word to put it. So, a lot of people after Saturday's loss, rightfully so, blaming Mike Woodson, wanting him fired. I understand. He is a, a coach who does not help himself with his post-game quotes. He does not help himself with his awkward rotations. And he doesn't help himself by being stuck in a basketball mentality that just isn't modern by playing two bigs. But he's not the only one that should be getting blamed. And to be clear... Unless fan apathy really sets into the end of the season where Assembly Hall is half empty, he's coming back next year. Yes. Whether it's deserved or not, here's the thing. They gave Archie Miller four years, right? They're going to give Mike Woodson four years. Now, 
there's a separate conversation to be had that if IU truly cared about winning and, and doing things like other big programs, Archie Miller wouldn't have stayed four years, let alone Mike Woodson wouldn't make it through the end of this season. But they're seemingly more versed in, in making sure they balance budgets. Obviously, they had to pay Tom Allen a ton of money as well. That's a separate conversation. But I think there's another person to blame in this beyond Mike Woodson. It's easy to blame the coach, right? But I think it's also clear that behind the scenes, Scott Dolson, where's his blame? This is a guy who was a former team manager under uh, Bob Knight back in the day. Now the IU athletic director has been for a few years. He was the one who wanted an IU guy in the coaching search. He's the one who gave Mike Woodson a $1 million raise just for making back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances. Uh, He's the guy who hired a head coach who had never been a coach at any level, whether head coach or assistant in college basketball. Scott Dolson did that. So, yes, Mike Woodson's in over his head with this roster, but the IU administration also should be to blame because they brought in a guy with zero experience at the college level, zero experience recruiting, thought he could just step in because... He played under Bob Knight that he could return IU to glory. Now, to be fair, IU hadn't tried that. They had five ADs and eight years when Fred Glass took the job. And there were a lot of issues with coaches too, right? From Mike Davis to Kelvin Sampson. And then finally landing on Tom Crean during that era. But no athletic director has solved the basketball puzzle at Indiana post-night. Well, except for one. That's Rick Greenspan, and he got fired uh, because of the whole Kelvin Sampson fiasco. Yeah, that's a whole other subject for another day about Kelvin Sampson and where this program would be if it had not acted so self-righteous and maybe a, 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 a day where in the near future when what Kelvin Sampson did was just, you know, for the norm for, for coaches. But do you feel uh, with Scott Dolson a lot riding on – Kurt Signetti, but a lot, lot, lot relying on the next hire for IU basketball, which we feel, barring something crazy either way, will be next offseason. Yes, it it will be next offseason because I don't think anything's going to change. And does his experience as a student manager for the basketball team and blah, blah, blah affect his ability to actually have a objective view of who they should actually hire that can, Oh, I don't know, do a good job as opposed to who has IU ties and how much is that his decision and how much is he being pushed by wealthy alums and donors? Well, remember he's the one who didn't have a search firm for the Woodson hire. He pretty much handled it in-house himself. I did a dynamite job, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, again, it, it's not just Mike Woodson, and you've said this before. Some of these things you don't really blame Mike Woodson on because he's out of his depth as a college basketball head coach. That's been clear from from day one. And we also want to talk about. And someone texted in CK. Why didn't IU hire Dane Five? That's a it's a question that blows my mind to this day because he had been Tom Izzo's top assistant for what like over a decade. He had head coaching experience at PFW. Um, and again, different era for PFW. Oh, but it was it was development from a a low to mid major as a head coach 
to an assistant that we kind of felt was the heir apparent to Tom Izzo for a while there in in East Lansing. Then he surprisingly comes to Bloomington. Then he's gone after a year. Bad Mata brought in player development and kind of helping Woodson get acclimated. Him being gone after a year was a little bit of a surprise. Dane Fife, though, gone after a season was a massive surprise because Fife felt like the clear heir apparent on the staff and he'd take over after a handful of seasons of Mike Woodson and then that would be it. And the clash between Fife and Woodson, like we don't really know exactly what happened there. There are a yeah, lot of rumors lot online of between attitude and, and well, things like and that. Disagreeing about, you know, philosophy and, and even like non-basketball issues, just different mindsets of things and didn't get along. But who knows what it was. But the fact of the matter is, I think we can all agree that IE basketball is worse for it for not having Dane Fife around. Yes. Someone saying at four six eight six two CK a search firm gave IU Archie Miller. Yes, that is fair, but they didn't. That's standard practice. I sometimes you got to go outside, and with a guy like Dolson, who again, as you mentioned, former team manager, he was probably never going to go outside the the circle of IU basketball. He better expand that circle the next yes. time around. Yes, he better do that, and a search firm would probably be necessary. Look, IU used a search firm to hire Kurt Signetti, so. It's not like Scott Dolson's not willing to do that. He was certainly willing to do that for football, and we'll see how the hire plays out with Signetti, but it's at least a coach that the fan base is rallying around. You can't say that about Mike Woodson right now. No, it's almost the opposite right now. And I think the move had to be made with Archie Miller when he lost the confidence of the fans. When the fans turned on him, it was over. I don't think we're there yet with Mike Woodson. I think we're at the apathy phase where people are just kind of like, you know, whatever, you know, just, but when, when apathy turns into vitriol, when it turns into booing and, and audible, um, disapproval of a job, that is when he's done. He hasn't reached that point yet. Maybe he reaches that point at some point this year, a couple more bad home losses. And he definitely will. But I don't think we've reached that point yet with Mike Woodson, and he'll be back next season, barring something crazy. And I mentioned to you over the weekend or Friday, I can't remember. Like, can can IU coax an NBA team to say, "Hey, we'd be interested in Mike Woodson to come coaches"? Would Milwaukee, if uh, you know, oh, let's, let's see if Mike Woodson would want to coach? You don't think they can be rescued by an NBA team? Interested? Not in Mike as a Woodson? head coach. I mean, Woodson's, this is his last job. There's no other job. For well, him. I think he was hoping he was going to be here a little bit longer for his last job. But I, to me, though, when he was hired, I mean, you were looking at a guy coaching five, six, seven years, and that would be it. Yeah. We're in year three, and year four does not look promising already. Again, and they'll probably do this this offseason where they bring in a bunch of people through the portal and the fan base gets all hyped up and. Oh yeah, five stars you know. coming McNeely, in, baby. Whatever. Same old story. Same old, same old. You know, as as IU fans like to point out, Purdue can't win anything in March. Uh, Purdue fans can point out, well, IU can't even consistently get to March. So yeah, it, it is what it is at this point. And I just, why would you feel confident that something's going to magically turn around next season, based on what we've seen this season? Not buying it. Not buying it, no. but will Scott Dolson 
even have the uh, ability to hire the next men's basketball coach. At oh, Indiana. probably because we'll it's just one hire, but no AD has gotten it right again. Not yet. In theory, since Rick Greenspan, which in, in that different era, what Kelvin Sampson did was obviously against NCAA rules. At the time, it was. It now you kind of laugh at <laughs> sending too many text messages. I mean, it's just, it's laughable how that yeah, played out. It's a, it's a greater conversation. But my thing is how, how much do you crave winning? winning? Mm-hmm. And I think Calvin Sampson is one of the handful he, of the best coaches in college basketball. He wins. He wins. And, and uh, there's been nothing really since that has popped up as far as a, a major issue. No, not, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we're not. Ta- I, I, by all accounts, Kelvin Sampson's a, a stand-up guy. I mean, there's no personal things where you're like, like that dude's a sleazeball, right? It's we're not talking about Rick Pitino here. Um, it just it, Kelvin Sampson. He'd like to kind of skirt that line with the rules, and it wasn't anything major, but enough that at the time was egregious in college basketball and got him fired. My thing is going back. What we know now. Would you have kept Calvin Sampson? I think you would have. And in a big scheme of things, what he did wasn't that big of a deal. It even wasn't that. I mean, it was serious, I guess, but it wasn't like death penalty type stuff back then. And look at look at uh, not only what Indiana's struggles have been, but Calvin Sampson's success at Houston. I think that's a a, a move that a lot of IU fans, with each passing. Week, month, season, would like to have back. Coming up on the other side, Roger Goodell. Well, he'll speak with the media today. Now, just how many? That remains to be seen. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny with you, 46862. Again, the text line number, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. So Roger Goodell hosting his annual press conference today for the NFL. Now, moved from a Wednesday, which used to be a Friday. And there's a big change this year. Invite only for reporters. Aha. Uh-huh. Wants to control the narrative. Yeah. So, again, used to be on Friday. Friday before the Super Bowl. A lot more media in town. Then it moved to Wednesday in 2017. And now, this year, after Jim Trotter, formerly of NFL Media, asked a lot of pointed questions at Goodell then got let go. And then now there's a lawsuit ongoing. I think he's now with the athletic, but this just seems like the NFL trying to do whatever they want because they can get away with it. Still doesn't make it right. No, not at all. I mean, this is a, when you're the czar, when you're the boss and you have unquestioned unmatched power, then you can do this. This, I mean, Roger Goodell, he's basically the the guy that makes the owners a lot of money. And they are not going to challenge somebody that makes them a lot of money. And Roger Goodell thus can make rules in which he's going to put a lot of, uh, of kiss asses in there that are going to ask him a bunch of positive questions and glowing reviews of the NFL. And in my opinion, 95% of the things that the NFL has done is absolutely glowing. I mean, that's why 50, 55, 57 million people are watching conference championship games and why close to 120 million people will watch the Super Bowl this Sunday. 
There's a lot to like about the NFL, but the fact that he's effectively controlling the narrative is bothersome for sure. And it makes you wonder, I mean, how many hard questions are then going to be oh, asked? Oh, zero. If it's, I mean, they're going to be a bunch like, of softballs. It's not going to be about concussions and player safety and officiating and you know things like that, the actual hot-button issues in the league right now. It's going to be, oh, we're growing the game in Europe and we're, you know, oh, the Pro Bowl games was a big success and blah, blah, blah. When you're the boss, you can do such things. It's true. But the fact that, oh, gambling, that's the other issue that I forgot to Yeah, bring a up. little bit. A little bit uh, of gambling. A lot, lot of issues. And we'll see what comes out of this press conference today from Roger Goodell coming up later. Coming I don't up, expect anything to no, be coming I, I don't either show. after last year and the headlines <laughs> that that made uh, with, with someone from NFL media obviously going at him. This yeah, is why this was moved. Yes. Coming up on the other side, the Jaguars are asking... For a cool $20 million to be returned to them by a gambling company. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up here on a Monday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. The Jacksonville Jaguars are asking FanDuel to return $20 million that a former employee stole uh, to use on daily fantasy and sports betting. But FanDuel, according to ESPN, is uh, saying no. So this goes back to the story. I know we covered this on the show. Uh-huh. Back in December, former Jags team employee Amit Patel charged with wire fraud and illegal monetary transactions after he was accused of stealing over $22 million from the team using a virtual credit card. It was a high-volume, high-stakes daily fantasy player uh, known for racking up big losses. Well, if you're stealing that much money, clearly. your losses. <laughs> clearly. Um. But they're discussing some sort of settlement, but unlikely the team would receive the money. Uh, no, they shouldn't, I don't think. Wouldn't you? Uh, if I'm FanDuel, I'm like, you, you should probably keep an eye on your employees yeah. a little bit more. That's not our problem. It's not FanDuel's fault. It's not. <laughs> Could you imagine $20 million in bets? That's crazy. Even if I could, I wouldn't bet $20 million on bets, unless it's ping pong. Russian. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Russian. Particularly. Uh, I think this is great at the at the end of the story. His parlay picker handle. He was uh-huh. described as the biggest loser ever on FanDuel and <laughs> legendarily bad by one daily fantasy uh, player called out for loose play and rookie mistakes, including picking players not starting and not submitting rosters for pools with expensive buy-in. See, that's the thing is like when you when you play those buy-in things for fantasy, is like can you you don't want to go up to the level where there's like really serious people that have no lives, but you want to do it with their, there's some dullards you can take advantage of. But apparently this guy was going to the top of the food chain and still being an idiot. It wasn't his money. He didn't care. Yeah. Oh, that was very clear in this story. Yeah. If I'm fan to, I'm like, nah, nah, you just need to monitor your employees a little bit more. $20 million. That's nuts. It is nuts for Justin Kinney. I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick up next. The herd will call coward coming up at nine. Or excuse me, at noon. Wow. Uh, Indiana Sports Beat, Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. All here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.